Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests who've appeared on JM in the AM. David Cutler, the head of uh, NCSY Summer, joined us to discuss the new programs and to encourage people to register now. David Cutler, recent guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. J.M. and the A.M. on a Friday morning. Well, there's some amazing people in this world, and uh, one of our favorites is, of course, David Cutler. Uh, David Cutler is one of the good people out there, and uh, (laughs) one of the reasons is because he leads an effort to bring thousands of uh, Jewish children, both to Israel and other parts of the world, uh, so they can enhance enhance their uh, heritage, their Judaism, and at the same time be inspired during the summer months to uh, keep them rejuvenated, all year round. I'm referring, of course, to NCSY Summer. It's summer.ncsy.org, summer.ncsy.org. Any inquiries, summer at ncsy.org. David Cutler, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you for that intro. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Well, i got to tell that to my wife. <laughs> well, See if she agrees. I'm not sure. Well, well, you're one of the few who actually deserves it, so I'm happy to do it. Uh, Thank you. David, is it is it possible the last time we spoke on the air was actually uh, in Israel was actually when we were visiting uh, uh, and uh, doing programming uh, from, uh, I guess it would be NCSY Cola was the second of the shows that we did. I believe so. It seems like it was a very long time ago, but I believe it was only a couple months, but I believe so. Yeah, in some that, ways, it seems it like a long time. In some ways, it seems like yesterday. Pretty amazing. And now summer 2022 is, uh, as you put it in a note to me, is, is open for business. But I mean, really open for business, because I would assume if you're approaching numbers uh, and thinking about numbers like you had last summer, you probably already have a massive registration. How's it going so far? We do. Thank God. We have se- we have several hundred kids who've registered already. There's uh, in Baruch Hashem. There's there's a real excitement for summer in general. This, this past summer, as you know, uh, was a real schluss to have a summer. To be in Israel this summer was just a tremendous, tremendous honor, and it went so great. Our staff did a wonderful job, and the kids had an absolute blast. And uh, so people were. Thrilled that we pulled it off. It was literally a miracle to, to get into Israel um, at the time that we did and to be able to have our Yom NCSY and our Kolal Kumzitz and, uh, you know, and Tishabov and to be able to have just an incredible summer all over, really in the United States also, in Baltimore and upstate New York. It was yeah. a tremendous miracle. So people are very excited for that, and it carries over. And uh, we opened up registration earlier than we ever have, and we're seeing great numbers so far. Thank well, God. Yom NCSY is amazing, and obviously when we're able to be there, it's incredible for us, and uh, we are able to bring that whole spirit to the to the world and uh so we concentrate a lot on israel but as i said in the opening and as you just reiterated there are other parts of the world as well whether it's europe or the u.s uh where the ncsy summer programs also have um a great programming and wonderful opportunities now speaking of opportunities a lot of us and and, and obviously the website would outline this for all parents and all kids out there but a lot of us uh, are familiar with the long list of ncsy programs uh, what I didn't realize is that you're adding even more again to that list for 2022. What update can you give us? We are. So we're very, very, very excited to announce that we, we're partnering with Cam Cayley, uh, a wonderful, wonderful organization. Our, our two organizations are very much aligned in, in how we inspire and educate uh, children today. And we're partnering with them uh, to open a program called Camp Impact. Uh, which is a travel program. Camp Cayley runs a program for one month for boys and one month for girls in their camp, and they're continuing to do that, and they do a wonderful job. For the other month, uh, we are working with them on a travel program, uh, one for boys and one for girls in grades 5 through 9, two different divisions, girls and boys entering in, entering grades 6, 7, and 8 is one division, and girls and boys, and again, separate programs, one right. for girls, one for boys, right. entering the grades 9 and 10 is the other division. Uh, our program, formerly known as RTC, which is run by Rabbi Avi Rosalimsky, is now part of this uh, part of this umbrella called IMPACT, and, uh, and we're working with Kaylee together uh, to run this beautiful, uh, no pun intended or sort of pun intended, impactful uh, travel program uh, <laughs> that runs for four weeks and uh, will be just fantastic. It'll, it'll feature amazing trips, 
wonderful sports, wonderful uh, you know learning opportunities, which both our organizations are known for, and we're, we're extremely excited. Not unusual for you to partner up with uh, existing camps and with uh, existing programs, frankly, and incorporate whatever you, you... You basically want to do the best you can for the kids out there, and uh, this obviously will have, as you say, a great impact. So it's not unusual for these partnerships to take place, and you take full advantage of them. Yeah, we do, and like I said, the two the two organizations are, are very much aligned. You know, Kaylee, which is run by OHEL, is uh, just a wonderful program, and and we have so many staff that really that overlap between the two organizations, and and we are we're just we're two organizations that are dedicated to inspiring and educating children. That, that's the bottom line. And we're starting so now we're starting as opposed to starting you know seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. We're starting already going into sixth grade because there's a there's a need for it. And uh, and we want to inspire kids and educate them at a younger age. By the way, really, really great. We should make this point again. Um, NTSY summer, a lot of people always think tenth grade, eleventh grade, and for obvious reasons. But now you really have expanded to include a lot more grades over the years, and people should not assume uh, that there isn't a program for their child out there. Correct. They really, you know, we're we're getting younger and younger, and uh, again, we're finding the experience is so transformative. And, and why not start it at a younger age? And therefore, uh, they really already a current fifth grader uh, can go can, can already experience this program called Impact. Uh, and there are other programs as well. Our camp sports program starts, which is still a beautiful program in Baltimore for boys um, in, in the month of July that that want to experience uh, a program in Baltimore starts already post grade eight. And uh, and we have lots of programs. The, the thing that I love about our programs, not that I'm a little bit maybe biased towards our programs, but that we have something for everybody. We have kids who want to go to Israel. We have kids who want to go to Europe. We have kids who prefer learning, kids who prefer more of a, of a TU-based program, or kids who prefer an intern. We have a program called Next Step Internship Program, which has exploded. to We had almost 100 kids last summer who came to Israel uh, to get an internship. Uh, and in many different fields, and there's nothing like it. No other high school program gives internships uh, in Israel, in, in real fields, you know, in, in medical, in uh, in not for profit, in uh, in engineering. Really, just an incredible program for a kid who wants to build their resume. Uh, in Israel for the summer, we have a program called Hatzala Rescue, which is if you want to get a, a first responder certificate and you want to become an EMT. So we have a program called Hatzala Rescue that takes place in Israel. We work with Ichud Hatzala in Israel. So we just, we're very diverse and we have so many different kinds of programs for so many different kinds. We work, again, we have kids from all over the world joining us now, Argentina, uh, the United Kingdom, America. It's, uh, it's you know, so many kids from Canada. It's a beautiful experience. So you're coming and you're, you're literally meeting from kids from from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and experiencing the summer like you've never had before. And it's funny because uh, those who listen to this show carefully know that all through this journey with Hatzala Rescue and Next Step, uh, there were a lot of skeptics that it wouldn't work, especially Next Step, that there wouldn't be enough organizations and outfits in Israel that would open their doors for, you know, three, four, five weeks to young people from the United States to actually participate and be part of their staff and volunteer uh, a group and and look what happened. You, <laughs> I don't think even you expected it to explode the way it has. Yeah, to the point where we're actually really we we start now to find interns. If we have somebody pretty much working in Israel full time for this program to find internships, and we don't. And again, we're not just talking. You're not you're not making coffee, and you're not uh, you know you're not making copies. Right. You have, you're, there are real <laughs> internships in companies uh, that we're working with that are that are thrilled to get these kids. At first, it was kind of a favor. You'll do us a favor, but now it's become a really a beautiful internship program. And, and and like I said, it exploded last summer. We had we had close to a hundred kids that had signed up last summer. Uh, we expect at least that number, if not a little more, this summer. And we're working very hard now already to secure internships for the summer for anybody interested. And you will likely hit um, and exceed two thousand total, at least two thousand total, with all these programs together for the summer of twenty twenty two. God willing, because again, we'll be back. And God willing, we'll be back in Europe this summer, and right. we'll be back. You know, we didn't. We were we were in the United States and Israel last year, and we had extra programs here in the United States. We hope to be back in Poland this summer. God willing, we hope to be back in Europe this summer. Uh, everything really is a full go for us, and, and full steam ahead. And uh, and yeah, two thousand is a number that uh, we should, God willing, hit and exceed. And uh, you know, our, our staff and our kids are just very, very excited and. Uh, it's only it's the middle of October, but for us, uh, summer is uh, is well underway. Oh, believe me, a lot of parents are already thinking about uh, this summer. It happens this time, uh, around this time, every single year. Go to summer.ncsy.org. The boys' trips are outlined there. The girls' trips are outlined there. The co-ed trips are outlined there. Everything you need to know.
is all described on the website, and you'll see what's best for your child, and you'll be able to uh, to choose with them uh, which NCSY program they should be attending and enjoying this summer. Summer.ncsy.org. David Cutler, anything else you'd like to add? Is there any, de- any deadline or dates we need to know? The end of October is our early bird special. The NFC has October 31st to, to, to get the early bird. And people should know, again, that we would love for you to reach out to us and talk to us about your child and, and his or her friends and what they want to do. Uh, we, have, we have a couple of other new programs in the works as well, which we'll hopefully, hopefully announce soon. We'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them soon. But we're, you know, we're all, we just have some, uh, some beautiful other locations that are in the works. We might actually be going, uh, some of our programs might hit uh, Rwanda as, a, as, an, as an add-on to Israel. Uh, we're talking about a couple of other locations, but the idea is any any kid out there, we have something for you, no matter what your background, no matter what your interest. Uh, we obviously love Israel, but we also, like I said, have Europe. We have a program in Baltimore, um, and we just have uh, we have a beautiful, transformative experience uh, for any kid out there. And uh, and encourage everyone to come talk to us and uh, come on, like you said, take take a look at the website. And, uh, and see how we can uh, inspire you this summer. Summer.ncsy.org. David, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Continued good luck and have a, a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you, Nachum. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank more, you. More coming up Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with David Cutler. Rabbi Dr. Moshe Sokol, Dean of Lander College, has a brand new book. I had a chance to discuss it with him. My conversation with Dr. Sokol next on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, well, a, a few months ago, I think it was in June, uh, Dr. Sokol joined us uh, as dean of the Lander College for Men. We were discussing uh, different aspects of Lander College and uh, Turo, and, uh, which is a division, of course, of Turo College. And um, we said at that time that we would set aside time to bring him back to discuss uh, the book entitled The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave, Exploring Talmudic Narratives. Right, Dr. Moshe Sokol's book is... Um, a Magid Books production, MagidBooks.com. That's two G's, MagidBooks.com. And, of course, that is part of our, um, uh, op- uh, uh, as part of the our friends' operation over at Koran Publications in Jerusalem. Uh, Roy, Dr. Moshe Sokol is dean of the Lander College for Men, a division of Toro College, rabbi of the Yav Dominion of Flatbush. That's why he was so, that's why he is so dear to us because of uh, the relationship he had with our Wonderful late friend, Mayor Weingarten. Um, Rabbi Sokol, as we said, is um, uh, the dean of Lander. And at the very beginning of the book, Turo College and University System pays tribute in a beautiful one-page tribute to Rabbi Dr. Moshe Sokol, an outstanding Rav scholar and academician who is respected by his peers and beloved by his students. And he is the author of The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave. Uh, Dr. Sokol, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. And it's a pleasure to be here as well. I appreciate Good to that. rekindle old relationships. <laughs> to say the least. And uh, and we are connected forever, Baruch Hashem, and I'm happy about that. Uh, why the title? From whence does the title come? The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave. Well, part of the answer is so that you would ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> I like to provoke people. Where does that title come from? Maybe I'd better take a look at that book. So the title actually comes, there's a two-part answer to the question. The title comes from one of the chapters in the book, um, which uh, describes a, a very puzzling encounter between Rav Yochanan, the great Amora, and Rav Kahana. Um, uh, Rav Yochanan thought that Rav Kahana had smirked at him. He was very upset. Rav Kahana subsequently dies. It turns out, as Talmudim tell Rav Yochanan, it turns out that it wasn't a smirk, but Rav Kahana had a defect on his lip. Uh, of course, Rav Yochanan was very upset about this, and he went to ask Mechila forgiveness from Rav Kahana at the cave in which he was buried. Well, it turns out that there was a snake coiled around the mouth of the cave, uh, which refused him entree into the cave until he said the right code. And uh, the chapter discusses what that code is and what the significance is. Uh, so it's drawn from that, and I hope it's uh, an arresting title, but it also has for me a double entendre in that um, just as Yochanan needed to, in order to penetrate the deep subterranean cave in which Kahana was buried, he needed to know the code. All of us who learn Agadita struggle to enter into the deep, mysterious, cavernous, hidden meanings of the Agadita. 
and we're looking for code or codes to get in there. So at one level, the book is my modest attempt to provide one possible code for exploring the infinite depths and riches of Agatha. You know, um, and, and, and for many people in this audience, obviously, we, we have to explain what that means, and, and the book is, is so scholarly and amazing. I hope, he, I hope people will pick it up and, uh, and understand that they'll need to go through it once or twice to just to make sure that they understand exactly where you're coming from with the different stories that you, uh, that you cite. But let's start with that. Agatha, what would be the best translation, and how would you explain, and again, I'm somebody who went through the yeshiva system, so I have my own angle on this, how would you explain to the average person the way Agatha has been portrayed in the annals of Jewish scholarship? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. <clears throat> so, for starters, there's the Talmud, the Gemara. Um, folks who are Tamidi Chachamim, who are the Kiyim Bishas, who really know Shas, I've heard this from several people, estimate that about 30% of Shas is Agadita. Uh We tend to think of Shas as halacha and discussions about various manifold halachic topics, but about 30% deals with Agatha, so it's really important. And the, and, and the best translation into English of the word Agatha would be? For <clears throat> right, so uh, that, I'm coming to that. And sorry. Yes, <laughs> it's often translated as legends, although I don't think that's true. I would say it would be the non-halachic portions of the Gemara, which include narratives or stories, which this book focuses on. Uh, but it includes... Um, Hashkafa, you know, idea, Jewish ideas, Jewish values, Jewish uh, ethical teachings that are not, you know, halachic or legal in nature. Um, it includes various uh, interpretations of psukim, which are not halachic in nature, but sometimes, uh, you know, uh, very, very expansive in their way of looking at uh, the text of the Torah of Tanakh. So it's, you might say, all the probably the easiest way to define it would be all the non-halachic portions of, right. the, of the Gemara. It could include medical, you know, medical teachings, teachings about health, general advice, all kinds of... I mean, they've got it, the right. Gemara is infinitely rich. And, and before, this is a non-halachic portion And of before it. you address how it's portrayed in our scholarship's history, we, we should also mention that it is, it is viewed so significantly, or maybe I should say it differently, it is viewed as such a... As such a um, uh, an important separate section, if you will, or separate area of Talmud that there actually have been many Sfarim in many languages written just on Agadita, meaning to to bring to to uh, underscore the importance of just those sections of the Talmud. Right. So those sections often speak to us as human beings, and speak to us with our human aspirations, our foibles, our attempt to become better, our attempt to become spiritually closer to God. So these are all, the Agaditas often, not all of them, but often resonate with us as human beings and as questing Jews in our, in our attempt to grow and develop a relationship with Hashem and with other human beings. Right. So they, they have a very profound impact in ways that the pure halachic material, which is incredibly important and is the, you know, the basis of Judaism in many ways, but it doesn't, it doesn't speak in the same way. So Agatha has, has a certain power uh, to it. Now, um, the classical commenta- commentators on the Gemara, notably Rashi, always commented on Agatha, just like he commented on every other portion of the Gemara and all, and the Gaonim, which goes back to the early medieval period, uh, and Rishonim, the middle and late medieval periods, the Achronim, later commentaries, many of them wrote on the Talmud, and they also, inter alia, wrote on uh, the agadic portions of the of the Gemara. There is a sefer called Ein Yaakov, which right. many of your listeners may be familiar with, right. um, which is a compendium of commentaries on Agadita, and the author uh, went through Shas and selected out the agadic portions of Shas, of the Talmud, and he gathered together various commentaries, so that's a very, very important work as well. The Barsha is extremely well-known for his Chudushi Agados, for his commentary on the Agadita. And over the years, there have been Maral, you know, 
wrote an, an, an immensely important, highly creative, voluminous commentary on Agatha. So there is a literature, an interpretive literature from our classical commentaries over the years. Um, however, I think it's fair to say that relative to the halachic portions of the Gemara, it's understudied. <clears throat> By that I mean that if you took a, if you went to the Jewish National University Library in Israel, and you managed to get a pile, gather together a two piles, one pile of all of the material that's halachic in nature, which goes back to the Gemara, and all the material of a non-halachic nature. And you'll find that the halachic material would be massively out, outsize the non-halachic material, right. because we are a halacha, as Professor Isidore Tversky put it, a halachocentric people. We are focused on halacha, and those portions uh, of the Gemara that deal with halacha are of paramount importance. However, the Agatha to 30% of Shas. 30% of the Talmud. That's a lot. So yeah. it's obviously very, very important. And if someone... And in the English, which is where I'm coming to right now, right. there is definitely uh, a paucity of material. Not that there's no material, but there is a paucity of material that focuses exclusively on Agatha. Um, there is a growing uh, universe of, uh, of academic scholarship in English on Agatha. Um, and that is of considerable interest. I draw upon it myself. Uh, the authors are right in an academic mode. So right. they write uh, in a kind of a distance from what they're writing about, as an ac- academic should write. Um, and they operate with certain academic presuppositions that not all orthodox, orthodox readers, for example, would be comfortable with. Right. What I try to do in this book is I draw upon academic scholarship, but I write, I wrote the book in ways that are deeply meaningful to me. In other words, um, I I did not distance myself as a typical academic might, even if I draw from academic sources. Understood. uh, The the book, I got it to these stories, and I only focus exclusively on narratives, only on stories. I have another book coming up, which is, you know, additional material, um, but it's only focused on stories, and um, I, I, I try to read the stories with, intricate care, the same way my rabbeim taught me in yeshiva to read all the Gemara with intricate care. Why does it use this word? Why does it say this? Why do they do this? Why do they ask this? Why don't they ask this? It's a part of the methodology that one learns in the yeshiva system, if one spends many years there. I try to apply that methodology, which is not frequently done, uh, to the, these agotic materials, to these stories, these narratives, very, read them with a very, very considerable care, raising all kinds of questions, and I write in a very dialogical manner, because in many ways the chapters in this book are based on classes that I gave. So you engage, and you right. ask questions, answers, questions, and you try to come up with an account or a theory for what's going on in this often mysterious and sometimes troubling story that the Gemara chose to tell us. The, uh, so there isn't that much material, very little, but just a little bit, but not a lot of material in English that would that does that kind of uh, job. The Magid Books release is The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave, Exploring Talmudic Narratives, or by Dr. Moshe Sokols with us live via telephone. Now, if I understood your intro correctly, um, you chose in this regard, these eight stories, eight narratives, eight chapters were chosen specifically, and, and again, tell me if I have this right, because you feel that these eight are... I I don't know if this is the right way of putting it, history-changing narratives or uh, stories that took place that have had an influence on the aftermath of those stories in Jewish history for hundreds, if not at this point, almost thousands of years. Would that be accurate? You chose chose Jewish life, life life-changing events? Um, That's true. I, I can't say that was my conscious choice. Uh, I, I mean, just the way it evolved is that over many years I give Shiurim in my shul, and we c- uh, came upon Gemaras, which had some of these stories, so I taught them in depth, like I try to do my best to teach everything else I do. Then, subsequently, I began a series of Shiurim at Lander, which we call Agatha Tabi'in. Um, <laughs> so. Some would say that's a dichotomy we're not used to in the Yeshiva world, Agatha Tabi'in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I taught some, and then eventually it coalesced, uh, some of the chapters coalesced into a book. Partially it's because uh, they de facto form intellectual biographies of two of the greatest gedolim who ever lived, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yochanan, two great, great, great Talmudic sages, one earlier, one later. 
Um, so I came to see, look, here's a, if we put these together, we have a portrait of the growth and development right. and challenges that these great, great Jews faced. Th- that, that, that moved and, history in a certain direction, right? They, correct. A, right. Yeah, they Got did. It. Rabbi Eliezer certainly did. Rabbi Yochanan right. was the... Right. Uh, is traditionally thought to be the compiler of Talmud Yerushalmi, right. which is obviously a major work, so it's very, very important. But what I want to stress is that these stories are, are just gripping. I mean, if you read them, they're just fascinating in the struggles that these great people underwent. And this is the theme of the book. The theme of the book is that people like Gedolim, great people like Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Eliezer and many other um, authorities in the Gemara, were men of deep principle. I mean, they had very, very strong principles about what constitutes Torah study, what constitutes Torah truth, how do you devote your life to the study of Torah. And they were ready uh, to defend those principles, e- even if it meant at, excommunication. Exactly, at great, great personal cost. And this, the book overall looks at the question of what are the costs of living a very principled life? Because... We believe in the importance of principles. We want our life to be guided by ultimate values. But sometimes doing that comes at enormous personal cost or interrelationship cost or human cost. And how, how does a person's growth and development over time influence the way in which he carries out and lives his principles? Because these were human beings. They were great human beings, but they were human beings. And we can learn from them precisely because they were great human beings and not not angels. But at one point I want to stress that this here, which is very important to me, which is that at the end of the day I make no claims whatsoever about what Rabbi Eliezer or Rabbi Yochanan would truly like. Right. None of us living in the 21st century, myself especially, you know, who I am, how can I begin to imagine what Rabbi Eliezer or Rabbi Yochanan or Akavya ben Mahalalel or Chonia Ma'agel were really like? I can't. What I'm trying to do is interpret what these texts tell us about those great people. That's different. In other words, the authors of these Agatha who lived many centuries, often after the protagonists of the Agatha, they had a view, and they were trying to teach me, Moshe Sokol, and all of the readers, a lesson, something important, that important to them. I'm trying to unpack what lesson they were teaching us, recognizing that that, at the end of the day, we still can't get any real grip on the greatness and the you know of Rabbi Yochanan or or Reish Lakish or Rabbi Eliezer, who lived millennia ago in a totally different world, whose religious heights were way beyond what we could even imagine. So I'm very modest in what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's an ambitious undertaking. I don't mean to say it isn't, but I'm modest in that I don't do psychobiography. I'm not trying to get into the what, what Rabbi Yochanan or Reish Lakish were really like. I can't know. But there's a Gemara here. And just like we learn any Gemara to try to understand it, we have to learn this Gemara and try to understand it too. And that's what I seek to do, try to unpack and figure out the Gemara based on of course, the classical Mepharshim, but based on what we know about the history of the time, um, what we know about their origins, what we know about the ideas that were at that time, what we know about psychology, about human beings, all kinds of techniques I do my best, for better or for worse, to employ to figure out what's the Gemara teaching. And that is a basic I think, obligation that every Jew has to try to figure out what the Gemara is teaching. But does, these particular in these cases, these are incredible yeah. stories, incredible people. They're just gripping. They're does, fascinating. Does, you can't help but be interested. Does the inability uh, of yourself, as you acknowledge, and all of us to to truly understand, you know, these personalities and to understand what's going on all these, you know, centuries later, um, does does that? I mean, it has to it has to lend to a legitimate air of of um uh, of believability. In other words, one of the things that we and I'm not saying that this includes you and other uh, scholars and rabbis, but there are lay people out there that you know wonder if every detail of these stories in fact are true. I mean, Choni Amagel is obviously you know the the one I, I I would take from your book as the classic one. Should the believability factor have any role in analyzing these tales? Great question. Great question. And it, that question has been subject to debate for millennia. So you have two different schools of thought. You have uh, great commentators like Rashi who tend to take these things literally. Um, on the other hand, you have uh, great commentators like the Rambam or Maharal or others who don't take these stories literally. So I, I personally 
don't take any position on that subject. If you want to be a follower of Rashi, Gesundheit, right. right. can't get a better leader than Rashi if you want to take it literally. But it should, I but it shouldn't identify more with the rationalist school right. or the symbolist school. So the approach I take is more in that tradition. But I'm not telling people what to believe right. or not to believe. I'm but, just saying this is what works for me, and I'm following that great Misora of the Rambam, Rabbi Aram ben Rambam, the Maral, and other great right. Parshim. But but I search for a level where where the believability factor doesn't interfere with with the pursuit of understanding the story and learning its lessons. You know what I'm saying? Like that the the frustration of not knowing if every detail is true really I, I'm I'm giving myself Moser on this really should not interfere. Not at all. You know, I I spent so much time learning and reviewing and working on this material. It doesn't doesn't bother me one iota. In other words, if you're the kind of person who's comfortable believing, you know, all sorts of supernatural things, because that's that's your way of, that's your derech of Avodah Hashem. They have many great uh, gedolim to follow. Personally, I am more identified with the other approach, which is the approach I take in my, uh, in in the book here, following in the footsteps of other greats. Understood. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Uh, I'm not preaching anything. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. Believe me, you may. I got it. Uh, the book is called The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave, Exploring Talmudic Narratives, and it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, we are highly recommending it. Check it out at magidbooks.com, M-A-G-G-I-D-books.com, magidbooks.com. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Moshe Sokol. Uh, by the way, how has the semester gotten underway over at Lander College? Great. Baruch Hashem. We had more students than we anticipated, than we projected. And the base medrash is humming, classes are full, and it's it's really going, given what was the universe in which we live, really beyond my expectations. Yeah. We have a vaccine mandate, so all of the students who are on campus are vaccinated unless they get uh, either a medical or a religious right. exemption, which obviously some students have. But it's, you know, a reasonably safe environment. We do continue to do COVID testing. We have a COVID testing apparatus from our school of pharmacy coming up next week so we try to be very careful but if you walk through the halls given the fact that virtually everybody is vaccinated faculty staff and students it's it's if you feel like it's pre-covid times yeah uh, vir- which is great virtually everybody is not virtual which is a good feeling <laughs> it, <laughs> exactly it, well it's, said it's, very ni- well it's said. nice exactly it's right. nice to be back on an active campus wouldn't you say oh it's Sure is. The place is hopping with excitement. The base medrash is humming. You know, there's energy in the hall, student activities, clubs, sports. It's just uh, you know, really intense learning. It's just uh, great to be back in that environment. We just hope we can continue with Hashem's help. Yeah, Hashem. <clears throat> Dr. Soko Mazaltov on the book. And uh, sorry it took this long to uh, analyze it with you, but I'm glad we did. And uh, good luck during the year 5782 over at Turo. Now, there's, a, there's an interview, I think, coming up. Were you supposed to talk about that on the 18th? Was that connected to this? I'm being interviewed as well by um, Rabbi Dr. Zev Elif, who's the president of Graz College, um, on Monday night at 8 o'clock uh, through Turo Talk. So if anybody who has access to that, you're invited to uh, kind of a more extensive and more elaborate conversation very, about the very same subject. Very cool. And knowing who you'll be speaking to, more academic as well. <laughs> So that's great. <laughs> but, but, well, one before you before you before you hang up, just one little point. I wrote the book not for academics, although I hope right. academics will appreciate it. It's right. really written for a general audience, and that's the response I've gotten. Oh, hundred percent. Don't be intimidated. But, it's, not, it's not to be designed to be intimidated. Uh, I agree with you. The only and I hundred percent agree with you. I, I just found myself having to reread certain things that sometimes uh, you know it, it indicates to me that it's a. Uh, a, a, and look, it's a high-level book, but it's certainly for the layperson, and I think a lot of people out there, especially those who follow along the Talmud, whether a Dafyomi system or otherwise, are going to appreciate it greatly. That's why we are highly recommending it. Dr. Sokol, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you for having me. A Great pleasure. Speak to you again. Bye. I appreciate that. Thursday morning broadcast, more coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with my doctor, Moshe Sokol. Mark Zamek and I had an opportunity to talk about the uh, Erev Shabbos show recently. Here was that appearance by Mark Zamek on JM and the AM here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. And of course, it's Thursday and everybody's looking forward to the Erev Shabbos show. As you would imagine, Mark Zamek is going to host. It's brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem and it's unbelievable. And this Shabbos or I should say tonight, and then at 3 a.m. tomorrow, and then at 10 a.m. tomorrow, it's all with Parshas Lechacha in mind. Mark Zamek, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? I hope you're getting an idea of just how popular the Arab Shabbos show is uh, becoming each and every week. I actually, it was funny. 
I um, I'll talk about it on the show again tonight for those of you who don't want to hear the story twice. <laughs> but um, I was at. Um, by the way, I forgot to call in to wish a Mazel Tov to my nephew Jacob Finkelstein on his engagement um, this past week. Mazel Tov. And we were at the engagement party. Um, her name is Nikki, and I'll remember her last name in a minute. <laughs> um, and uh, from from Lawrence. And we had cousins who were there, and I never a number of cousins I know who listen to the show. And one of them pointed out that, well, his wife listens. She's a really big fan, which I know that. And um, he mentions, well, when, she, when he's in the kitchen doing dishes or whatever, he's listening to the show as well. Right. And he managed to throw in that one-paragraph conversation three times that he did does the dishes. <laughs> and I, I don't know what point he was trying to make. I know, you know, these days we all... The, the the roles of our grandparents and great grandparents are you know are, we're much more fluid in terms of the work that we do, but he, it was important to him that he knew that I knew that he washes dishes. So uh, <laughs> that was that. Yeah, but but it was nice that he brought it up. It's Point. Nice when I get feedback in the store or whatever. So. Point well taken, as they say. <laughs> yeah. the, the point got across in both in both ways. Right. Um, exactly. So uh, tonight, you know. 7 p.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's the Erev Shabbos show. You know, Lech Lecha's got a lot of material. Mark, you're on the spot tonight. You got you to gotta perform. You got to come up with uh, with two, three hours of, of really, really on-point selections for this evening's show. So I have to say, you know, every once in a while, there's an artist that makes it easy. And I don't know if it was Deddy's Bar Mitzvah Par show or something, but there are at least, I think, a half a dozen Deddy songs that fit into the Kriyasa Torah or the Haftorah for this week. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He took care of things for you, didn't he? <laughs> he t- made it really easy to that, get through this week. That That's at least a half hour's worth. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. All right, so Denny's obviously... Some good ones you wouldn't think of, like the Kovei Hashem, Yachalif right. um, Fukakis and the Haftorah. So there's really right. some good stuff. Uh, all right, so that's coming up with a lot of Denny this evening and other obviously other artists as well. And uh, and this is what happens every single week. I need people to realize. I mean, well, first of all, a lot of people do realize it uh, because it's obvious from the ratings that uh, a lot of people are tuned in every single Thursday night just to see what you're going to pull out of the hat in terms of music appropriate for the week. Uh, but we see it also Erev Shabbos between the um, 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. Friday morning slots when we uh, also hear the Erev Shabbos show. And, of course, the final hour, which this week I assume will begin about uh, quarter to five in that area. Yeah, uh, more or less. Yeah, all of those, all of those segments uh, as well are getting tremendous reaction, and and the Friday stuff is going on without our audience in Israel, and we're still getting incredible. Well, we, I should say, you are still getting incredible ratings for the Arab Shabbos show. So the more and more people learn about this, that there's an actual show that is designating specific music to get you in the mood for that week's uh, uh, Torah portion, that week's Haftorah, that whatever the, uh, whatever the, you know might be happening. Maybe as Kalbach's Yard Site's coming up next Friday, maybe Mark will sneak in some Kalbach selections as well. You never know. Whatever's happening in this world, it's all reflected on the Erev Shabbos show. So I wanted more and more people to be aware of it. And if you have never checked it out, check it out today, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, whether you're using your web radio or the telephone or using our app, which is obviously the most used uh, portion of all of our uh, offerings of all of our methods of listening, whatever it is, uh, whichever way you're tuned in, make sure to listen starting at 7 p.m. tonight. And the show tonight will go for about how long? How long? What's the length of tonight's show? No, I think it's a standard three-hour show. That's standard three well, hours well, is pretty amazing. Yeah, because, first of all, it, it needs to squeeze in between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Right. Because something happens at 6 a.m. <laughs> I don't know. That sometimes cuts the show off. I, whatever. Al- I always feel guilty about fading out your show. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it's a great so lead. Try to keep it to three hours. But I'll tell you one thing: it's a great lead, Mister Zabik. No worries. Yeah. By the way, Nikki Meyer, the yeah. daughter of uh, Elizabeth and Bertsala Meyer from Lyons, very nice. Is the, uh, tough. the the young lady engaged to my nephew Jacob Finkelstein, my stuff to my sister Karen, and her husband Rabbi Stephen Finkelstein, who uh, Gabriel Siegel's probably going to see today. By the way, uh, let's hope. I would assume so. Assuming they both make it to school, they'll see each other, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Baruch Hashem. Uh, everything is hopping at TABC. So, yeah, Baruch Hashem. Thank God, the yeshiva, thank God the Yeshiva League schools, and obviously the one I hear most about is TABC, but thank God we are getting reports that the campuses are so much more lively, so much more active. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I like or don't like the expression of life getting back to normal, and who knows what normal means, but it is nice to see that campuses are a lot more... Well, I, 
it's more than that. I like if you don't watch the news, right? And you know, you avoid talking in shul. You'd think the most <laughs> of my world is back to normal. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, seriously. And in shul, it's like you know, talking about vaccines is like talking about the weather. That's what it has become. Right. So, um, but Baruch Hashem, you know, it's uh, we do what we can do. We're all as protected as we can get, and we got to get. But you know, life has to continue. What an attitude! You and I on the same page on this one. Uh, Mr. Zamek, good luck tonight and good luck tomorrow, and thanks so much for all you're doing to uh, enhance our uh, incredible uh, um, uh, audience out there as they uh, just – look, it's obvious. The live programming, the original programming, the new programming, I mean, th- those are those are the features that are keeping people more and more engaged, and I thank you for taking care of so much of it. It is my greatest pleasure. Mark Zamek, everybody. He's the host tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time, and, of course – the Erev Shabbos show and our Erev Shabbos music mix in the final hour, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, who, like us, like us, Kedem's important all week long. We know that. They're they're such an important company in the Jewish world. But like us, when it comes to Thursday and Friday, they get so much more additional focus. And, of course, we get so much more additional focus. As we always say, when, it's, when you start Thursday morning with JM and the AM, there is no reason to ever touch that dial until you get to candlelighting time. More coming up, including this uh, brand new one. Let's do the brand new single off of the brand new album, the brand new title track from 8th Day at JM in the AM. That was my conversation about the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by Kedem with Mark Zomik. Stacy Zrian was a recent guest on JM in the AM. We spoke about the importance of money management always, but especially in the Jewish world. My conversation with Stacy Zrian is next on the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, the amazing Stacy Siegel said to me, you must, must, must interview uh, the amazing Stacy Zrian. Stacy Zrian, I find out, is someone we actually spoke to on the air before when we did uh, some of our Achiezer shows from Central Avenue in, um, in the Five Towns. Uh, for the past 10 years, Stacy Zrian has been volunteering for Achiezer, helping people with budgeting and financial planners. She recently became a certified financial planner, a CFP, and continues to work on a volunteer basis. And over the past three years, and this is unbelievable, and you'll hear what I have to say about this in a minute, because um, I think it's one of the most important things in our community. Over the last three years, she's begun to uh, speak to various groups, high school students, newly married couples, young singles, about the importance of budgeting and financial planning for everyone in the Jewish community. And um, she's got a whole bunch of uh, anecdotes and episodes where uh, people have you know, taken difficult situations and turned them around with her advice. She also has an Instagram account now called Making Sense with Stacy. Sense is spelled C-E-N-T-S, and Stacy is spelled S-T-A-C-E-Y. So check out on Instagram, Making Sense with Stacy. She posts a short clip every few days inspired by general issues discussed with clients, hoping it becomes a venue for people to ask questions and then Stacey will be able to respond with some great advice. Stacey Zrian, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. I think you covered everything. I don't know if there's anything else for me to say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's a more important issue. Well, you know, I'm not talking about spirituality and religion right now. I'm talking about in terms of our community. I don't know if there's a more important issue. I always tell my kids, and we've discussed this a million times, that life, not just going to a casino and, and not just, you know, being concerned with fantasy football. But life is all about money management. And I would bet you would say I'm not overstating it. You're not overstating it, especially in our community. It is such a critical piece. And after so many years of trying to get this issue to you know, be more at the forefront of from people's minds, I think we're finally getting there. And for some people, it takes a long time. For some people, it could take years or decades. Frankly, some people are thankful that they they figure it out before, you know, their life is over, frankly. Uh, But what you're trying to do is get people started early. And, And when I saw that you're speaking to high school groups and I saw that you're speaking to newly married couples, I mean, if you can give them an education about money management at that age and money management as they're starting out and really just the value 
of the dollar and how important it is to you know deal with each dollar you know responsibly. I mean, what a victory that is. And I alluded to the fact. I mean, you must have a million stories. I mean, you volunteered with Achiezer for people that were in desperate situations. You must have a million stories about families that turned their lives around because of this. A lot of stories, and the wonderful part is that we are no longer meeting mostly with families in desperate situations. We're now meeting with just regular families, either starting out or looking to buy a home or looking to enter retirement, and we're talking to all types of people. I had three three clients last week with net, net worths over a million dollars. This is no longer for the destitute. It's for everybody, and I, I'm so thrilled for that because it's just really a venue for everybody to understand the best way for them to move forward. Be- because people in our community are intelligent enough and are responsible enough to do this. We just uh, Many of them just don't have the tools. So it sounds like because, thank God, you've met with so many people and now they have the tools that they're in a completely different situation. Absolutely. I think, you know, it was always assumed finances wasn't spoken about. Right. It was something that was under the radar, and you were sort of supposed to, you know, know magically how to do that. And as Jews, we learn everything else, but somehow that was yep. sort of a, oh, well, you'll just get it when you get there. And you don't just get it when you get there. And now, in addition to Achiezer's amazing Westwood Financial Management Program, the OU has spearheaded a huge initiative across the United States to really bring this topic to the forefront. And it's yeah. You're, you remind me of two things. You remind me of, uh, of a, an instructor I know in a, uh, in a Haredi school. Not, not that it matters, but people understand why I reference it that way. In a Haredi school who said the biggest difference he made in his life was teaching his students how to balance a checkbook. Now imagine that. <laughs> that, that, that I mean, I'm sure you could appreciate it. That, they, uh, that, that's one step in, you know, again, the money management piece. And, the, the, and then you remind me of my friend Albert Kahn. Who who has made a, uh, a a campaign, a crusade, if you if you will, of trying to remind young couples in the Jewish world why it's so important to buy life insurance, just so we won't have situations where where people leave you know this this earth suddenly and 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 leave a spouse and eight children, and then you know you have to go raise money in the community if they have a even a limited life insurance policy. You know from the beginning they'll have what they need in order to continue. Life. So you remind me of that, you know, just having the tools and establishing a family with the necessary components to be able to manage money properly. You got it. Well, we're very enthusiastic about what you're doing. Tell me about making sense with Stacy. What type of impact has the Instagram account had so far? So, so far, as my kids will tell you, it's had an impact on them because we're still at a very low number of subscribers. <laughs> but I am hoping that it will grow. I've got terrific little anecdotes that come up, obviously, without names. Nobody's, sure. uh, you know, anonymity is always preserved. Um, but there are a lot of questions that I see over and over, and I want those to be able to be accessible to everybody. If eight people are asking me that question, then maybe there are hundreds or thousands of people out there who can benefit from that short answer. It's a, it's a 60-second clip. It's really, really short, and uh, I'll try to post a few times a week, and uh, just to, you know, answer a quick question or bring up a quick topic that seems to be coming up a lot with my clients, and hopefully uh, it's enjoyable, and it's, uh, it's, you know, fast and an easy way to get a quick financial tip for that week. When you, um, w- when you dealt with and continue to deal with people on a volunteer basis and meet with, you know, uh, husbands and wives, etc., um, and then, of course, you know, as you've expanded and, and continue, you know, on a more professional level, uh, is there? Can you pinpoint one thing? And I know this is such a hard question to answer because obviously it's really a general, you know, whole package aspect. But is there one area of Jewish life where you would say to yourself, if only? people in our community could manage this like is it tuition is it food bill is it clothing like is there one thing where you said to yourself you know what the the biggest problem or one of the major components is is our community's attitude toward this so it's not so much attitude as it is challenge. I think tuition is and will continue for at least the foreseeable future to be the biggest challenge on the plate. Um, it is just expensive to give a private school education to uh, right. to our children, and uh, we're getting good education, and I think the dollars are being spent wisely by the schools, but it's a lot of money. Um, the second challenge that I think was always a little bit of a challenge but has really crept up in second place there is just the cost of housing in from areas. Right. It used to be that 
that if you couldn't afford a house in Lawrence, you went to Woodmere. If you couldn't afford a house in Woodmere, you went to North Woodmere. Not North Woodmere, West Hems, you know. And now there's there's nowhere left. I mean, there's just, you know, from Lakewood to Jackson to, to, to everywhere, there are just so many um, areas that are really saturated and the price of housing has gone up so much that I think that's that's posing a challenge to our to our younger uh, you know families I mean, as well. I mean, no joke, and I'm sure you know this. Out of town communities are benefiting like crazy from that. They are, and fortunately or unfortunately, they're also getting a little expensive. Right. Um, so that's getting a little tricky too. I, I know there are a lot of groups out there who are looking for new untapped, um, you know, communities. So hopefully there will be you know new things on the horizon that allow young families who are working yeah. well and saving well uh, to also own homes and, and live uh, you know happily in community. Yeah, I don't know how long Tampa is going to stay affordable, but maybe maybe, yeah. maybe for a little <laughs> while. Um, all right, uh, I am sure there are people out there. Oh, by the way, before I ask you about information how people can reach you, I have to imagine that that at some point, months or years later, you were approached by a couple and you were told, because of you, I was able to send my kid to summer camp. Because of you, I was able to afford you know, this yuntif or this special occasion or the upcoming wedding or bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah of my child. There has to have been where people saw the fruits of their labor of managing money properly. Thank God I have gotten many over the years. I've gotten invitations to Saudat Hoda'az where people are, you know, out of debt. Um, I've gotten invitations wow. to weddings. I've gotten just notes from people who have said thank you. I'm getting, thank God, a lot of notes from single individuals, from single, you know, young women and young men who are starting retirement accounts that they otherwise would not have known right. and then come back to me with, a, with a, a, you know, as a couple a year or two later or three and saying, look, look at what I put aside because you 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 know suggested that I start saving yeah. and uh, and that, that's yeah. the best. Forget forget about the car and summer camp. They're going to call you thirty years from now. Thank God I'm able to live as a retiree. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. That's what's going to happen. Look, I don't know if anyone again, you know, rabbinic leaders and spirituality aside, I don't know if anyone's doing more important work in the Jewish world than you are. And I have a feeling that there are people in this audience who will want to contact you. Let me remind everybody, the Instagram account is called Making Sense, C-E-N-T-S, with Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y. It's Stacy Zrien, who's with us live via telephone. And uh, what other um, uh, methods of communication would you like to uh, mention this morning so that people both, I guess people who would approach you, you know, maybe as a volunteer effort through an organization like Achiezer, or people who want to approach you as a certified financial planner and your role as a professional, uh, how could they reach you? So I actually only work as a volunteer, much to my husband's chagrin. Wow. Um, and they can reach me by contacting Aliza Wartelski at Achiezer. Um, it's A. Wartelski, W-A-R-T-E-L-S-K-Y at Achiezer.org. She is the coordinator of the Westwood Financial Management Program in the Five Towns and Frockway area, but people can write in from anywhere, and she will arrange a meeting either with me or one of the other financial planners on our uh, committee. So you are definitely willing to meet with people outside of the Long Island area? Do it all day long. <laughs> and, and again, as you said, to some people's chagrin, you literally say so you got this degree and you literally are staying in the field of volunteerism. Thank God. So far. Wow. Thank God. Unbelievable. Kavod. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm sure you do understand, but it's all about money management. That's the phrase I always quote. It's That's all it. so many areas of life are all about money management. So why not have the tools to deal with one of the most important parts of life? That's Simple it. as that. Uh, Stacy, a real pleasure to um, uh, to speak Thank to you. Thank you, Nachum. Thank you. Have a great day and continue your great work. Thank you so much for hey. that. Bye, everyone. Thank you. A Wartelski at achiezer.org. If you want to speak with Stacy Zrien, Z R I H E N. A. Wartelski at I'm very passionate about this topic. If we can get young people, every married couple of any background, even people who come from money, as the expression goes, a lot of them have no clue what to do. And in, in fact, a lot of times they're in a worse situation in terms of those tools because of the way they grew up. Not a criticism, just a reality. A. Wartelski at Ask about meeting with or speaking to Stacy Zrien, S T A C E Y. Z-R-I-H-E-N. Her Instagram account is Making Sense, C-E-N-T-S, with Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y. That was my conversation with Stacy Zrihen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up if you keep it here on the Nachum Siegel Network.